Hello and welcome to this week's installment of the Elevation Innovation Podcast. I'm James Alcock, your host. This week I'm excited to invite Jay Dunning to join us for the podcast. He's the innovation lead at global leading law firm DWF with its headquarters here in Manchester. Jay has a wealth of experience in innovation, creativity and design. Today we're going to cover topics in innovation around process, challenges in heavily regulated industries and the importance of diversity in innovation teams. Enjoy. Hi Jay, thanks very much for joining us on Elevate Innovation Podcast. Um, uh, We always start off uh, with the question, what does innovation mean to you? yeah, take it away. Over to me. Right. Well, I said it's a good question. Um, and it's one that doesn't have a fixed answer. So when it says to you, that's the interesting part because it's it's got a multiple different interpretations. And, and the way that we or myself interpret this in, in our organization is um, anything really that is novel and useful or something that is new that has commercial value is the definition of innovation. So if you say take the, the new bit and commercial value side of it, that's the sort of overarching statement of innovation to us. You sort of dig beneath that a little bit. It's anything really that is, we like to use the terms novel and useful. So if you come up with an idea that is novel, it's something you've obviously never thought of before. Novel was interesting. I never thought of that before. It's quite cool. And then useful is the bit that we can do something with. So it's got use within the organisation somewhere. So... What we tend to find is we come up with buckets. We'll probably get onto this as, as it goes, goes along, along a bit more, but we come up with inside of organisations and as adults, a lot of useful ideas. We don't necessarily draw on much of the novelty as well as what we would do. And that's the, they can be the differentiating parts of proper or real innovative ideas. So in, in the useful world, it's like, well, yeah, we think of, a lot of ideas, but they're much drawn from the world of how it's already done or been done, or it's just a variation of what's been done before. That's where a lot of useful ideas or continuous improvement ideas come from. Innovation is slightly different because you need that, that sort of spark of creativity in there um, to sort of generate innovation. Okay, brilliant. So uh, you mentioned spark of, uh, spark of innovation there. Uh, oh, sorry, spark of creativity mm-hmm. in order to do that. So um, just looking at DWF as a as an organisation, it's yeah. primarily a, a legal sector law firm. You don't necessarily associate law with creativity and innovation normally. What kind of things do you do to encourage ideas to flourish in that kind of environment? Yes, it is, it is an interesting one. It's one that raises the eyebrows, as you just mentioned. <laughs> you see legal services, you've got creativity, legal services. Mm, don't they show they go in hand in hand? But they do, actually. And, and lawyers, are, whilst they are risk-averse, which then goes, you know, is the opposite or polar effect of taking risks and innovation, they are actually creative within their own right. So I say, oh, lawyers, I'm, I'm a lawyer, I'm not creative. And I say, well, you are, because you find things like loopholes in the law. That's being created by its very definition. So you have it in you. It's just that you don't believe you have it in you. So the way we try and draw that out of people is to just, first of all, change their environment. They are in big offices with lots of filing cabinets and lots of papers. That's sort of depleting now, actually, with the paper side of things, the pandemic and we're going digital. But, you know, their environment is very much here and now. My head's in a contract or it's in a clause and I'm thinking about this one thing. 
we need to change that environment. And what me and our uh, myself and my team do is is try and change that environment. Now it's been digital. We, we'll have done that physically before the pandemic. So we had like a design studio. So we took them out of their office and plonked them into a wall full of wall-to-wall whiteboards, TV screens, post-it notes, and just got them to try and change, you know, what they do in terms of their actions and everything around them that in turn change their behavior. So um, we do that digitally now using like tools like Miro and, and we just sort of get them. They, they would never used Miro in their own right, albeit they've sort of looked at Miro. Oh God, we could probably use this to ourselves, you know? And it's like, well, okay, but we're going to use it for this purpose. And we we tend to sort of drive a process around innovation, which is using a couple of things, really. One, the processes that we use, mainly a design sprint methodology, which is born out of Google. So the five-day sprint, taking a, a an idea on a, piece of paper and then by day five trying to have a, a workable prototype um apologies for the team dog we always <laughs> now and then. so the joys of working from home now um but you've got this this design sprint sort of five day process um on one side but then it's sort of underpinned by this design thinking methodology so um what ideally used um, still used probably today um is sort of this human-centric design element. Now, I know that the design sprints have that, but what we try and do is put the user at the centre and empathise or understand the perspective of the user before we run off and say, well, OK, your idea was, was this. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? So we were talking about underpinning it by uh, design thinking methodology, so placing the user at the centre or the, the human at the centre of whatever you're designing out. And we use the design sprints methodology to sort of take people on a bit of a journey throughout a structured process to get to an endpoint or an outcome and that I think helps people draw them out so the environment is that you know using those two the effects of the philosophy of design thinking and the methodology of design sprints what what you've got is you create an environment of trust mm. providing it's facilitated correctly um, but your ultimately aim your aim in that is to try and draw out um, a suspense of judgment so you're looking for them to diverge off the path that they're used to and to suspend judgment, to just freely give ideas. And this is a big thing to do that because in, in professional services, failure is a huge thing to get around barrier-wise because, you know, in law, you're seen as the resident expert that can't actually afford to get anything wrong for a client. Yeah. Whereas in our environment, we're sort of saying, just try things, let's just throw things out and see where they go, what sticks, what works, what doesn't. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of ways we use to try and coax it out, creating that environment's key. Okay, and cause, so you mentioned risk there quite a lot. Obviously, yeah, uh, you are there to, well, lawyers are there to avoid risk. Like that's their job, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah. Um, how do you? Uh, so you've got you've got someone in a design sprint. I presume you're talking when you're talking about risk there. You're talking about people taking risks within this safe design sprint area yeah but, and which ones that go into a sprint as well so there'll be risks at the front end because you'll have like a hopper of ideas and then of those hopper ideas you decide in which ones uh, do you want to place the bets on so there's risk there risk in the process because you never know that that concept may fail at the end of those five days or even after that when you validate it further once the concept's done it could fail there so there's almost three parts of risk so, so the bit so I, so in so in my head you can mm. you can accept the risk of five days. Yeah. The flip side of that is the risk of not trying that five days. True. 
Yeah. Um, but then the, the risk of implementing something into a heavily compliant and regulated industry, how is that kind of managed or understood or accepted? Yeah. So there's two things just on what you're saying. Re- really interesting points. Um, the first bit, which I'll say it's worth the risk of five days. The, the, the challenge we've had about that, because I'm, I am completely in your camp, I, you know, so preaching to the choir. One of the things that we have to get over in the legal industry in particular, I'm not sure about other professional services, but they have something called a unit of time. So obviously the billable hour is a big barrier. So, and they measure their time in six minute increments. So a week in comparison to a six minute increment is a long time. And that's a lot of time or billable time that you're potentially putting up front for the risk of it not working. So yes, because you can, you, you, you know, you look at other methods and ways of producing, um, you know, ideas or following ideas through, they can take up to six months. And then if you look at a week to six months, that's nothing. So a week's more than worthy of, of actually spending the time to see if something works. So that was the first point. The second bit that you was mentioning around implementation, we're actually in a, a quite better place with the implementation in the fact that you know we've got the experts around the it and the infrastructure ready and separate and they've got a voice in our organization but a lot of the time when we're working with ideas that are either productizing parts of legal services or you're building an extension of of what a lawyer needs to do to do their job better or faster they are the resident expert that do the job and they are very well qualified very intelligent people that you know won't look to implement something if it doesn't work. So involving them in the design sprint itself will you know amplify your chances of, of adoption at the end tenfold. Um, and yeah, there is there's always risks with you know the implementation, but I think it's mitigated against the fact that you know you're you're already onto a winner by having the risk hat on ready to come out the door. Because I think some people just would, I don't think other industries more likely to just take jumps and see what happens on implementation rather than they'll have carefully thought it through a bit more i think in in professional services um it'd be interesting to test that though properly i think absolutely and so you mentioned kind of the innovations that you do and obviously design sprints were initially for product innovation yeah yeah is that your focus or do you look at other ways of innovating in the business yeah it's it's all areas to innovate really i mean we have um, at the minute our portfolio stretches from sort of a two by two box matrix. So um, it's a good old Boston box. <laughs> so you split with the the x axis at the bottom. It's split by um, what is cost saving or revenue generating as an idea, and that then is by uh, incremental and radical on the y axis, and you end up with this two by two box. So up top right then radical revenue generating is going to be something that we involve ourselves with design sprinting maybe a new product or a new service for example uh, and we've seen those and we, we come through everything from you know a drones service that does you know um it helps our adjusting teams rather than go out on site and we we use a drone to to go over and stream the images back rather than just get some poor fella on a ladder climbing on top of a roof which is obviously high risk high health and safety um, so that's you know could be there. We've got a, a you know, online learning development platform that we've we've created, incubated, and then rolled out as a separate connected service called Advantage. Um, again, that's all stems from you know new products and service at that top box. If you go bottom left, uh, you're looking at some of these cost saving and um, 
uh, incremental. That's going to be more of a process innovation. So something that is going to help the lawyers as a tool do what they do better. So you're not fundamentally changing anything, which is why it's incremental. But what you'll do is say, oh, I can see you've got a big stack of papers and the way you organize those things are, are like this, using a big marker pen and some sticky notes. Actually, if we use this tool, made it digital, it just make this whole process a bit more streamlined, not being able to sort of mess around the loose files, you lose the risk, it's faster, cheaper, better. You've not fundamentally changed the process, you've just enhanced it. So that would be a, a sort of process innovation. Um, an incremental version of a, a radical, sorry, not a uh, cost-saving version of a radical uh, in the top left would be a business model change. So we have um, an organization uh, that's broken into three parts. We've got our advisory practice, which is you know traditionally your law firm stuff that you would see in every law firm usually. Um, you, we've got like Minecraft sat in the middle, which is volume transaction stuff, which looks at multi-year contracts and lower cost competent resource doing the role onshore and offshore. And um, so we can drive down costs for organizations that want to do um, more of, of more of the volume work. And then we've got connected services, which is our third division, which looks at ancillary sort of uh, services and products that complement the other two. So like where we would in the advisory practice, for example, um, outsource it to a barrister's chambers. We've got an advisory practice there that you know has a bunch of barristers in, so we don't have to you know, yeah. send everything out and, and sort of outsource stuff. We can keep everything effectively now using those three divisions under one roof as a client. So in that new business model change, it could be that you've got something in your advisory practice that you want to completely transform, do it via a new business model. And that may involve Mindcrest, for example. So that'd be a, a complete shift or a way of delivering that. Um, so that's something that would maybe sit in that top box. And then the final box, really, bottom right, would be something that is value generating and incremental would be something like a customer um, customer experience improvement or a customer in, uh, insights improvement um, sort of role, which is we're not necessarily generating any money. We could, but you're not fundamentally changing any project. You're not developing something new like the top of the box above it would be. But what you're doing is enhancing it from the perspective of we're not going to make this faster and better for ourselves as lawyers, but what we're going to do is enhance your experience, which you know, is the main focal part. We get a lot in that box, actually, which is quite interesting. But that's how we break it. That's how we break it down. And that's the sort of stuff that we get involved in. It's literally anything and, and everything. And pres presumably then you, do, you you try and get a bit in every box. In a, in yeah, a, in a cycle. we talk about, yeah, it's an interesting, it's a good, good point. We talk about balance and balance doesn't necessarily mean an even keel because you don't want too much radical <laughs> over your incremental. You know, it's not a 50-50 split either. So too much radical cause chaos. So a balance could be a 75-25 split, where it's 75% incremental, we can keep things ticking over, 25, let's go, you know, 25% of your ideas through a radical, and they may involve, I don't know, um, funding from the market with our PLC. Um, so it may be that we've got an idea that's just crazy enough that we like the idea of and we want to raise funds um, at the market for and do things something entirely different. We have those options at our disposal, which is quite cool. So balance doesn't necessarily mean a 50-50 split or having something in every box. It's right for the division that we're doing this for. And we, we sort of speak to each of the CEOs differently and they've all got different priorities and different uh, strategic goals. So um, having something in every box is probably not applicable for, for all of those guys, but 
you know, it's interesting as a split is what we want to do. So that's interesting. So you mentioned uh, the CEOs there that you have to speak to, or presumably get mm-hmm. buy-in from. How did mm-hmm. how do you get that buy-in from senior managers? And the, the, you're deliberately innovating, which is amazing. Like you're like you're out there deliberately doing stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas I think there's this perception that innovation will happen by accident, or people don't really care. Not that they don't care. People don't want to do innovation because they're already making money. So why why yeah. why change? Why rock the boat? How do you get people to buy in to that? Yeah, there's, there's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting question and topic. Um, buying at that level, especially when you're in such a, what can be a profitable industry. How do you tell a millionaire that his business model needs to change? It's like, well, uh, tell him he can be a billionaire. Uh, <laughs> probably, if you're going down that route of influence, that is. But I think a lot of it boils down to you know the stories that you know, no doubt everybody listening will have heard around you know the blockbuster and Netflix ideas or the the Kodak examples of you stop and you stagnate you'll get overtaken the world around us we know is moving at an exponential rate of change um, and what is new tomorrow the day after will be status quo so um, we you are constantly on the need to innovate and not only against competition in your industry there is almost as well the second half of what we do in ventures is we look at something called horizon scanning so yes we're a delivery mechanism for ideas which is what one half of of what we do but we're also almost the seen as the source of inspiration we have this horizon scanning um capability and what we try and do is sort of look at trends and the, the exercise that we're doing or preparing to do at the minute is look at a series of macro trends that are out there in the world so what are the next generation of, of, of lawyers going to look like? What are they interested in? There's a huge shift of things like ESG and environmental understandings and you know uh, work-life uh, balance elements. So what does that mean for a workforce in the future and how does that affect what we need to do and change as an organisation going forward? That's one area of it. There'll be new industries and things like that emerge that in law will have an impact on how we help regulate uh, and, and protect and and control those those environments like we've seen pharmaceuticals naturally through um the last two years accelerate exponentially because of you know the, the rise of these vaccines we've pushed through far quicker than what we've ever done before because of the need and the necessity but it's paved the way as a precedent for other maybe pharmaceuticals and other um medical industries or med tech stuff to start to emerge what does that then mean for law so these new and emerging mega trends and trends that are out there, both at this level at a macro level, and then what do they actually mean at a, an industry level, such as ours, is something that we want to be able to sort of provide to our CEOs and say, hey, do you realise these are the sort of hot things? Or maybe even presenting them to them and saying, which do you think would have a, a, a bigger impact on your area in the next five to 10 years? And you might, we start on a sort of a three horizon approach. So, to make it easy so they've not just got to be instantly Steve Jobs and they're this visionary for 10 years is what my uh, division is going to look like. <laughs> it's, it's, we'll sort of focus on a, sort of what's in the next six to 12 months. There's horizon one. And then after 12 months to sort of three years, what's sort of next? And then five years plus is your, three, your third horizon. And sort of getting them to think about those things are, are really important and not buying. And it's, it's not influenced through, through fear but it, it, it is in a in a little way um because you it's almost you want to 
if you stop, if, if you can stop, you don't have to innovate. We're not forcing them to innovate. Um, we're not coming along like the innovation police and saying, right, give us all your checklists for your ideas. It, it's entirely up to them. And that's why it's their portfolio and what they see as balance. And it's we're there to support them in the innovation process, not to innovate for them. Um, and that's a sort of a, a big thing that we've tried to push this year, especially around this engagement stuff you've just mentioned. There's a perception that I've seen after speaking to a number of different people in other organisations that innovation teams such as ours come along every so often and open a magic bottle of innovation sauce uh, and this innovation just happens to their organisation. And I think it's completely the wrong way of going about it because I think adoption rates drop off. You don't get the right buy-in, senior sponsorship to see an idea, which effectively becomes a project that needs to be implemented by a set of resources that are from the divisions that we're talking to. And so if there's not that disconnect or there's not that engagement from the beginning, um, then, you know, we're off to a, a, a losing start. So having these monthly CEO catch-ups that we can just have frank conversations with them and say, hey, you know, you're here on your business plan, that's fine. But in the next three years, what are you, what are you thinking about? We've got these sorts of ideas coming from your practice area. Here they are. Do they sound about right? Are they what of strategic importance to you? What do you think? Um, and out of those, would you promote any through to the next stage? Would you go into sort of a design sprint um, and sort of cash some of your chips? It's like we, we, the Ventures team and the sprints that we mentioned and this process we talk about and that conversation is very much like we, we pull together an SAS team. It's the mixture between the SAS team and a roulette table. <laughs> so it's a very, very small unit of people, of specialist expertise of different disciplines. So you'll have, We'll have a marketer, we'll have an IT expert, we'll have a developer, we'll have, you know, your legal expert, you'll have one of us. And we'll throw them together in this design sprint and we're just throwing money onto the roulette table to say, you know, we've got a decent stab here of making this idea something worth worthwhile. And what we're doing is engaging that CEO and that relevant um, uh, practice area heads throughout the process. So we're not sort of stealing someone's time behind a curtain to come and spend a couple of days with us, you know, on the slide. Because as soon as we get at the end of that process, they'll go, well, what did you spend that? I, I didn't want to sort of focus that on that time. I wanted to do this. And it just makes more sense to sort of preload all the, the engagements and the um, sort of the direction set and the strategic elements of it, front end, and everything else flows a lot easier down through the, uh, the bottom. So That's interesting. So you mentioned in there ideas <laughs> from practice areas. Mm -hmm. Now, DBS massive, right? It's in yeah. multiple countries thousands of staff mm -hmm. how do you generate ideas and, and not even not, i suppose generation is not the problem if you've got that many people it's more the uh you know capturing and making sense of ideas how do you how how do you do that yeah um there's there's a couple of ways of doing this and there are a couple of tools out there that we've had a look at so you'll see things like crowdicity and you'll see things like idea drop which are tools that are out there that help almost crowdsource, a bit like Facebook for ideas. So people post an idea on there and it gets liked and so many likes and then trigger, triggers a process mm. um, to an innovation team to pick it up off the board and then do something with it. But we looked at that and, and although they're very good, we wanted to link it more to our reward and recognition. I think that was the main aim. So at the time, just luckily, we'd, 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 we'd purchased uh, something called Achievers, which is a reward and recognitions platform that we have. And you know, awards points to people for, for, you know, good job, well done. And, you know, these points are on there and everybody can see this a huge leaderboard of stuff. 
what we've decided, and we, we spoke to the uh, developers of, of the order recognition platform and, and said, have you got anything around ideas on that? And he went, yeah, funnily enough, we have. We've hidden it for you, but it's free. You can just activate it. And we're like, okay, can we have a look at it? <laughs> it's like, yeah, so they, they, they hid this, this tab and effectively said, you can just ask whatever questions you want in there. So it was like, okay, so let's call it ideas, create ideas, you know, original. Um, and on this tab, people can click into when they're in the reward and recognition platform, click into the tab. And what it does is it asks them a series of questions. Now when you say series, it's literally five or six questions, dead simple. Which idea does this um, part of the organization relate to? So is it the commercial services division? Sorry, is it advisory? Is it, is it, is it um, Minecraft or is it connected, whatever? So that, that then instantly we captured that. And then it's give your idea a title, give it, describe your idea. What problem is it looking to solve? Why is it a problem? Who is this a pain for? And then give us any supporting information that you might have. So they might have done a PowerPoint or something else. You can attach that. And what that does, it sits then, triggers our team. So we have like a little workflow, triggers our team and, and the innovation managers in our team, pick that up, look at it and assess the merits. And we call that level one. And so it's just a gut feel do we feel that that is an innovative idea or not that would drop it into our pipeline? Um, and that could be, you know, yes, that's an innovative idea, but we could have ideas in there that are like, we need more recycling bins or we need more paper clips in the paper clip cupboard. They're not necessarily innovative ideas, but they're still an idea. So what we tend to do is decline it out of our process and forward it to the likes of facilities or whoever needed to know. So it would drop out of the innovation pipeline. So if it goes through, it's level one approved. It then comes to, to me and others to sort of take that then to the CEO and say, we've had a, a bit of a gut feel on this. I think this is more of an innovation for your area. Does that apply? And that is then level two. And then from there, we, we pull the information out of the um, achievers portal and we place it into a power app. So we built a power app that just manages our, uh, our ideas portfolio and does all our reporting for us. So when we do those monthly CEOs, we've instantly got all the dashboards and stuff. It was mainly to save us time on reporting because yeah. just hate getting involved with the bureaucracy of just reports <laughs> and reports. We can just automate the report, perfect, every month. Um, well, it just means we just do a bit of a tallying up. Does you know, that say this? Yes, 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 that all adds up. Right, good to go. So that's, that's the way we do it. Um, and it's been good to do that in our reward and recognitions platform because going full circle, because it's in there, we can award points and uh, achievements for you know ideas that have made it through it's all within the same system we have at the other end also built into our reward recognition we have something called the rubies and rubies are sort of our annual awards and one of them is an innovator of, innovator of the year and again we can attach that because we've seen the activity on there it was a nightmare before this had arrived because everything was on emails it was all it was all sort of um disparative everything was everywhere you was conversations it was picking it apart just give us the clean and concise what you think your idea is we'll concise that into a, a nice little video um and then well yeah we'll report that up the line and then see where that goes from there and it can either die or it can it can sort of flow into the next stages but again we're involved but reporting that at whatever stage and there's a single accountable owner for an idea none of this we stuff where you've cut you've cc'd a million people in Oh, we all want this idea. No, it's just you. You are the, the idea originator. You will get the feedback and then do do what is it as you will. So that's awesome. the way you're doing it. So, so outside of the incentive to have your rewards, have, have you seen kind of like people come up with an idea that's then spun up into a beast of a, a really good innovation? <laughs> a beast of a really good innovation. I don't know. That could yeah. be a good book name maybe. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, 
do they then does that person who came up with that get heavily involved in it if they want to or is it just like left to you guys yeah exactly that they um they can get involved if they want to so it's take an example of the advantage which is the most recent one that's come out of our incubated ventures service so we stood advantage up which is the online learning platform and colin who's now the general manager of advantage that sits in connected services was a part of our lnd team so we seconded him in to see if we could stand this thing up um and and go with it from there so yeah it's an option really it's it's entirely on what they they want to do is it something they want to follow up as a as part of their career path do this comic for such a while want to hand it over there's a number of different options in terms of what we can do to play around with that some people like to come up with the idea leave it and then see how it grows other people like to sort of hold on to it and, and be involved with it from start to finish um, it would be interesting to see uh, after the next couple of weeks we're coming to the end of a open innovation program that we've run which is a way of if you were to really disrupt innovate uh, dwf or the legal industry what would you do and so it was as open as that so we wow. got teams of we use the young professionals network so we wanted to target you know, young, bright people, not the same that everybody else who isn't young isn't bright, but, um, you know, the, the young, sprightly, sort of very eager, keen to get on people within the industry have probably maybe got fresh eyes on this. Um, what, would, what would they do or what, what problems or opportunities can they spot in the industry um, and what ideas have they got that they can, they can come up with? And they've had six weeks to sort of break down a problem, understand it, develop the user and then come up with a proposition and at the end we've got like a dragon's den that they would pitch to so it's like a little mini accelerator but it's literally open board uh, and it can be as extreme as they want and it's literally if you was to really screw dwf up dwf up what would you do so almost like self-reflective yeah yeah you know go crazy what would what kill us so any happen, right? anyone in the business can just get involved with that yeah, we're gonna we're gonna open it up. We've we've sort of maintained it to the the, the young professionals network, but really when we ask what what defines a young professional, it's literally anybody apparently. Yeah. But we've sort of used we've used uh, that collective of people just to trial this. So it's the first yeah. time we have run it. Um, but the future plans for this is that if it's a success, we will open it up to new ref. And actually, I've got plans to use external bodies. So I think there's even more of a greater opportunity which is, you know, might be a, a link to where does innovation go next and how can you link other people up? But, you know, I think there's an opportunity to sort of involve external people looking at legal services, at how we could innovate and what they would do to us. So I think that's a unique perspective, that. The one that I don't think we would get much of by using our own internal resources. Wow. So, I mean, that, that sounds really exciting. <laughs> it sounds like... DWF is way ahead in, in its innovation journey. Uh, with that in mind, how can the innovation community help each other to be more innovative? Yeah, um, you always mentioned in the cross collaboration of, of like disciplines. So I think what we could do in the future is more of that cross industry collaboration. So like you've got, you know, marketing expertise in legal, but you've also got marketing expertise in a load of other industries as well. What could they learn from each other? So it depends on how you frame the problem at hand, but what you could do is cross industry collaborations on a particular problem. To say, well, how would we, but, you know, let's use that marketing example. In what way could legal market some of their legal services a lot better? What you could do for that is just take a bunch of different people from across different industries, 
in the specialism of marketing with our own legal marketers and see what you can learn and come up with. It, it could be, how do you make law more accessible to people? You know, yeah. that's a big thing at the minute, you know, the access to justice stuff. You could do something on that. You could have what would um, or how would you want to productize? If you were to productize law, what would that look like using the inspirations of Amazon, Google, yeah. YouTubes and things like that? You know, you can start to really because what you will end up with is a technique, potentially a watered down version by using your own people, because I think it's harder for people inside an organization doing what they do to think more radically like that without the use of external stimulus or stimuli so i think involving some of that mixing the pot with people that think completely differently to you is a, is a massive thing i bang on about this book all the time called rebel ideas i don't know if you've heard about it but rebel ideas is from matthew said uh, it's a oh. really He's done, is he black box thinking? That's the guy, yeah. yeah. So um, that's a really good book too. But that one, the Rebel Ideas one, that is the, the main aim of that is looking at ideas and innovations or just generally diversity of thought, really, yeah. what comes out of actually when you put people from different backgrounds, social, economic, race, gender, whatever that may be, it's a huge spectrum. You come up with far more insights than if you put a bunch of experts together, which is true, because they are the experts are the arbiters of the world the way it is now. Yeah. So to get them to change that world, they are the lock and key to the way it is. So what you want to be able to do is throw in that naivety as a gut. We call that creative gold dust. Naivety is creative gold dust. They will stretch, providing you provide the right environment and the right facilitation. They will stretch their understanding. Well, why do you do it like that? And they will ask what is perceived to be the stupid questions to unlock the, what, why? <laughs> it's a bit daft. Yeah. Wouldn't you want to do it like this? Or you could, do, you could do miles better than that. You could do this, this, and this. So if you've got the strong enough naive personalities in there, you can really have a, a mixed match of, of, and that's where the creativity side of it comes in. So we've talked a lot about design, but actually creativity has got a whole new venture ahead of it, I think, as a separate industry. No, not a separate industry, but definitely a separate discipline that, can fuse with design but it can stand alone as well interesting so you mentioned there about diversity mm -hmm. which there's not enough diversity in our businesses especially at top you know senior levels um and that's a cultural thing as well for it, it, within a business and in our in our society as well but so from from a business cultural point of view how do you ensure diversity when you're talking about innovation and creativity Mm -hmm. Do you have anything in place or that we could, that others could learn from? Yeah, it's, it's less about hitting numbers. So it's less about, oh, have we got this person of this type of person in this role? Obviously, for me, it's diversity with a purpose. So like one of the key things that we ask ourselves is when we're looking to do a design sprint or we're looking to sort of do a, an innovation session or a program, we, we sort of reflect and sort of once we've got the people that we'd have involved that we can think of, when we're setting that team up, we talk right a long list of names and then we say, well, these would be the names. And then we reflect on those names and go, do we have the diversity that we potentially need? Ah, oh, no, do you know what? The six white blokes there, that's probably going to get one dimension of one way of thinking. So we need to change that up. So let's just completely reframe that and throw in as many different people. And we would do that as well as seniority levels, as well as anything else. Diversity is not just race, ethnicity, gender, all those sorts of stuff, everything in terms of that background, but it could be, you know, privately educated versus public school educated. Yeah, it yeah. could be, 
It could be seniority levels. Let's get some trainees in there. Let's throw, let's throw a partner in. Let's not just throw a bunch of six partners in a room. Let's throw some trainees in there and some juniors or some mid-tier people and just see, see what comes out of it because they'll all have, naturally, they will have a different perspective to one another. And it's, it's interesting because what you want to go past is less about what their induction has told them to do in innovation and the way that our organisation is and, and more about how it could be and that's the difference between you know in the design sprint world you know or the design thinking world it's less about implementing something and more about exploring stuff and can you leave egos and other things at the door in order to just play around with some of these concepts and use the tools to play and explore new and different avenues to doing stuff because if you can leave that fear of judgment behind you're laughing you're honestly laughing because people generally refer to type they'll go back to i'm not going to say that because i've got him stood there she stood there they'll think it's a stupid answer so i'm not going to say this but actually what we want to be able to do is break that stuff down by not saying it you're wasting the time of what this is supposed to be and that environment creation that we were talking about right at the very beginning is exactly part of that carefully crafting that environment not just physically but emotionally is is super important so a lot then is going into, if you do get to a design sprint stage, thought from yeah. your team and yourself is who, going who into we with? how yeah, we're going to do this. With? And I suppose you've got the luxury of a huge employee population for yeah. people to get involved. If you're a smaller company, perhaps without that kind of resource, is there anything that you could advise someone to do to help them out with that? Yeah, I mean... It, previously doing the Jewish cross-jurisdictional stuff has been hard because we'd had a physical design space in Manchester uh, yeah. and we had you know it was hard for people to come from the Dubai in Australia where we've got offices and come to Manchester it would cost you know we talk about the risks and the way it's of, of costs effectively doing that well actually that would have been incredibly difficult but doing it digitally I think is actual open doors comes with its own challenges but usually like utilizing digital tools like Miro on the whiteboard spaces that you can cross collaborate that way has opened loads of doors, which has meant that we don't need to have people in a physical space. You know, it's great to have the whites of people's eyes and to have that sort of gravitas of a facilitator, knowing exactly what people are doing at any one time. Um, but actually doing it digitally, you know, comes with its own facilitation challenges. But actually, if you get over those, the, uh, the benefits far outweigh those, I think. And so advice to sort of, smaller organizations is i think what they've got as an advantage smaller organizations got a lot more agility actually than, than ourselves and we've purposely tried to manufacture the agility by having a function such as ours so we always sum up with a what's three tips and i think you've already given us one but uh, <laughs> what's your three tips that you can offer people or organizations or even nations to be more innovative yeah, I'll give you three. I did think about this question. I think there's loads. We do like top tens all the time. So pick your three is quite hard. Um, <laughs> I, like to, I like to challenge you. Oh, no, you do. Don't you? Oh, three. Three is a good number, though, as well. But you remember three. First one, don't fear failure. Don't fear failure. Uh, learn from it um, is, the, is the big thing. So if you can suspend judgment and do not fear failure and learn from it as lessons, you'll never fail. So you'll be iterate and be able to go the next time. Or even say, this didn't work for these reasons. Let's just go back to that user group again and say, if we did this slightly different because we've learned from that, how would you do that? And that's coming back to that black box thinking you mentioned. Uh, yeah, yeah. Really, really good. Um, something we utilise a lot. 
Second tip, uh, looks for inspiration elsewhere. You don't actually need to be a visionary. You don't need to be Steve Jobs. So innovate and learn from others. Learn from other industries. Get your head out of your own organization. Don't just look across your industry. Look at other industries and ways of doing stuff. And we call that a related worlds technique. So, you know, what are other organizations doing? How have they done it? Or learn as a lesson to an idea that we'd like to do. Or where's there been a similar problem that's been solved elsewhere? That's my second one. And then the third one is be playful. So be playful and have fun. So if if you are not being playful or you're not having fun, you're not probably or you'll act your creative best, then you will restrict the number of possibilities that ideas can have and flow from your session. So as I said, leave the egos at the door, just come away. You can spend 30 minutes having some good fun, playful experience, serious creativity. You're not just doing this for the for the sake of doing it, you're doing it from a from a serious perspective. Some serious brainstorming, play around. There's a, there's a great technique called superheroes, if you want to look that one up. So take the role of a superhero and their traits. How would they solve that problem? Um, and there has been some transformational ideas that have come out of that. I can give you a, a case study if you wanted to at a later date, but there's some, big, uh, some really cool ones. I would love to do that. And um, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> I'm like, obviously, I'm into innovation so uh it'd be interesting to see what yeah. uh, people say uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh like oh, if, if people listen to this and comment uh, mm-hmm. and i think they will um so just to, to thank you very much for your time uh jay um it's been absolutely fantastic just to listen to how some a company and yourself run innovation uh and, and obviously a short space time to learn all about that from, from your perspective uh, of how that works but it's really good to hear someone doing it really well uh, so i appreciate your time and um and thank you very much for coming on you're welcome thank you thanks for listening our next episode we have bianca boyce a life coach sharing some of her experiences of innovation and people. I'm James Alcock. This is the Elevate Innovation Podcast.